Hello, my name is Michael Albert, and I am the host of the podcast that's titled Revolution Z. This is our 138th episode, and this time our title is Navigating the Best and the Worst of Times. This will be a short episode. It's a replacement for one that couldn't be recorded today. I just want to make a point succinctly, and hopefully you and I can then simply dwell on it a bit in later times. The trouble is, nowadays, most people see the social prospects glass half empty, not half full. And for them, current times are depressingly immobilizing. Worse, people who write, speak, or otherwise communicate collectively by a kind of herd osmosis effect overwhelmingly emphasize the half-empty aspect, not the half-full aspect. Nearly as bad, some other people, to avoid the depression and angst of dwelling on the worst around us that can induce in us, see a revolution set to arrive tomorrow. And for them, today is never anything but the calm or perhaps the chaos before the glory. And while that misconception does not immobilize people who harbor it, their delusion doesn't produce much that is positive either. So a question arises. Can we intelligently navigate our best-worst perceptions? Can we see what is horrid, register it, but not dwell on it to the point of angst, depression, and demobilization? And can we see what is promising without exaggerating it to the point of not just delusion, but feeling that the new day is dawning and we can just announce it with no need to work for it? Best of times? Really? Well, yes, there are respects in which I think that is the case. Activism is present all over the world. In some places, it is even knocking on the future's door. Various sites in Latin America, Chile, and elsewhere demonstrate resistance to imperial agendas while spinning out innovative domestic projects. The same holds, less visibly, for many places in Africa and Asia. Not to be exaggerated, but not to be ignored or belittled. Even in the U.S., growing anger, outrage, and dissent accompanies huge numbers of local, too often single-issue projects, including major advances on some fronts. Progressive, radical, and revolutionary projects are more numerous and larger than in decades. And even more surprising and promising, even with the rise of fascist agendas and disinformation everywhere, Still, young folks are more open than at least a half a century to truly radical perspectives. When progressive and evenly aggressively progressive formulations even come from a growing list of elected officials, of course, echoing still more radical sentiments bubbling up in daily life, potentials for change are afoot. And instead of seeing the attempt to squash it or to co-opt it as disaster waiting to happen, Why can't we see it as our hopes and dreams growing sufficiently to provoke resistance and double down to overcome that resistance? Worst of times? Really? Well, regrettably, yes, it is true that this claim is a lot easier to make. Hopefully I won't overdo it. Ecological insanity threatens calamity. Fires are spreading everywhere. Nuclear stockpiles auger Armageddon. Conventional wars multiply corpses and exile yet more exiles. The right resurges. Reactionary domestic elites and U.S. paymasters assault projects all over Latin America, all over the world. Terror augments assassination by drone and firearm daily deployed from multitudinous military and police beachheads. Hypocrisy runs rampant. Self-delusion escalates. 
Amidst the madness, media tells all of us, we are exceptional. It's all warranted. The inhumane, the barbaric, becomes mundane. And then there is COVID. Public officials literally explicitly murdering hordes for personal gain. I remember, not long ago, a Hollywood TV show that chronicled the morally challenging circumstances of its female Secretary of State. Supposing we swallow that a person who always appears more personally concerned about justice and human well-being than about corporate and state power could rise to be Secretary of State, short of a massive overhaul of electoral and grassroots outcomes, which the show, of course, did not include. Madam Secretary was portrayed pretty brilliantly. But it was entertainment, so let's let the massive masquerade aspect slide by. Indeed, if we feel charitable, we can even note that the show acknowledged that Madam Secretary must fulfill her institutional obligations, and that in abiding that requirement, she had no choice but to jettison real human solidarity with anyone other than allies of the rich and powerful, a portrayal which could have been instructive for at least some in the audience. But consider this that happened in an episode that should have been incredibly instructive, but probably wasn't. Briefly, in front of millions of American eyes, the TV president tells Madam Secretary that he has placed her very close friend and partner in work, who we earlier learned was a traitor with a right-wing agenda, on a kill list. Our hero blanches, but then says, yes, okay, she will help set up and implement assassinating her friend. The target has run, and her family does not know why she left, and are worried sick. So while waiting to assassinate her, Madam Secretary attends the birthday of the intended target's daughter. Despite that Madam Secretary knows why her friend ran, and is on track to implement the woman's assassination, she tries to comfort her friend's child and husband, who are her very close family friends. Murder most sympathetic. But then came the teachable moment. There followed a scene with an aide railing at Iran as a country where they kill whoever they don't like, whenever they want, for whatever reason they want. The message, unchallenged, was that such behavior, presumed to occur, not demonstrated, is so ugly, so perverse, so horrible, that any violence visited on Iran is of course justified. Did the show's audience wonder? Does it follow, therefore, that any violence visited on the U.S. is justified due to our murderous policies, due to our numbers of people on death row, due to our numbers of people shot down in the streets, much less due to the number of people we kill abroad? In wartime, in the words of Henry Kissinger, the U.S. aims, quote, anything that flies at anything that moves. American exceptionalism or American annihilationism? In peacetime, the U.S. aims special contraptions, including drones and police revolvers, at whatever we explicitly choose to kill, as well as at anyone else who happens to get caught in the crossfire carnage, which is usually 20 to 40 times as many people as we are actually targeting. And that is the small stuff. The real show is the economic embargoes and coercion that kills so much more widely, and even more indiscriminately. Add together our military and our economic torture of the countries we target, and the resulting sum of our carnage dwarfs anything any terrorist has ever even a contemplated accomplishing. In fact, our terror violence dwarfs the total sum of everything from all terrorists other than ourselves by too much to even conceive. 
Yet somehow, that reality is beside the point. We're good, they are bad. Why? Because what we do is good, and what they do is bad. Okay, we live in an upside-down world. Madam Secretary displayed the incredible ability for its characters to see claims about Iran one way, and claims about the U.S. oppositely, even when the two things viewed were effectively alike, except in scale and in who was the perpetrator. Did the writers know what their script was doing, or were the TV writers as blinded by patriotic idiocy as the characters in the show? And does it matter, given what we can pretty confidently say about the audience who watched? Here is Kurt Vonnegut explaining this type situation, so common in the U.S. and the world, from his book Mother Night. When I first read this, decades ago, it had a very powerful effect on me. Perhaps it will be meaningful for you too now. Vonnegut's character offers this, quote, I have never seen a more sublime demonstration of the totalitarian mind, a mind which might be likened unto a system of gears, where teeth have been filed off at random. Such a snaggle-toothed thought machine, driven by a standard or even by a substandard libido, whirls with the jerky, noisy, gaudy pointlessness of a cuckoo clock in hell. The boss G-man concluded, wrongly, that there were no teeth on the gears in the mind of Jones. You're completely crazy, he said. Jones wasn't completely crazy, Vonnegut continues. The dismaying thing about a classical totalitarian mind is that any given gear, though mutilated, will have at its circumference unbroken sequences of teeth that are immaculately maintained and that are exquisitely machined. Hence, the cuckoo clock in hell, keeping perfect time for 8 minutes and 23 seconds, jumping ahead 14 minutes, keeping perfect time for 6 seconds, jumping ahead 2 seconds, keeping perfect time for 2 hours and 1 second, then jumping ahead a year. The missing teeth, of course, are simple, obvious truths, truths available and comprehensible even to 10-year-olds in most cases. The willful filing off of gear teeth, the willful doing without certain obvious pieces of information, that was how a household, as contradictory as one composed of Jones, Father Keeley, Vice Brundus Fuhrer, Crap Tower, and the Black Fuhrer, could exist in relative harmony. That was how my father-in-law, could contain in one mind an indifference towards slave women and love for a blue vase. That was how Rudolf Hess, commandant of Auschwitz, could alternate over the loudspeakers of Auschwitz, great musics, and calls for corpse carriers. That was how Nazi Germany sensed no important difference between civilization and hydrophobia. That is the closest I can come to explaining the legions, the nations of lunatics I've seen in my time. So, Returning to our opening questions, we might ask how we can more constructively navigate best worst than by turning ourselves into cuckoo clocks from hell. Amilcar Cabral, a revolutionary who fought against Portuguese colonialism and all forms of imperialism, wrote, quote, tell no lies, claim no easy victories. To me, that means to exclusively celebrate the best or to exclusively bemoan the worst won't yield good results. Don't exaggerate the good, don't minimize the bad. For the bad, discern its systemic causes, target those causes, including thinking through what could replace the institutions at fault and not just the individual people at fault. Couple bemoaning the bad with advocating the good. 
for the good, see not only the inspiring attributes, but explore where their trajectories ought to lead. Name the desired destination and carefully conceive steps toward reaching it in one's reaction to existing conditions. Many good people are getting weary. They feel beaten. Their mood paints everything dismal. Even what should engender hope, they spin depressingly. Even in local advances, they snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. When that happens, sometimes people just burn out. Sometimes they flail out at folks who should be friends and allies, even close ones. One day buddies, next day not so much. Another day, not at all. Sometimes, to divest what seems suddenly hopeless, we divest our own past. We divest our own connections. We even switch teams. To avoid these ills, some of us counter depression that is knocking at the door with delusions that we hitch a ride on. We maintain that all is great and victory is nigh. Not being a cuckoo clock in hell is good, but beyond that, we must accurately read reality. We must cooperate and aid one another. We must hear experiences and improve. We must not spin. We must not spin. We must not spin people or events to be even worse than they are. We must not denigrate and ghost. We must not denigrate and ghost. We must not denigrate and ghost those who don't see what we see or feel what we feel. We must not shoot messengers. We must develop vision. We must pursue it, as circumstances permit, in our immediate efforts. Can we do these things and much else that these horrible times require? Do we really have any dignified and hopeful choice other than to do these things? I don't think so. And that said, this is Michael Albert, signing off, until next time, for Revolution Z.